It's time for another Cheese Chat with Matza Matt. Memories to inspire, stories to renew. My name is Matt Selvig, and I am uh, so glad to be joined today by Kyle Nyseth and his wife, Melinda, uh, a combat veteran of three wars with 22 years of service to the United States Navy, a proud Mustang LDO with submarine, surface ship, and naval special warfare leadership experience. Kyle is uh, going to share some stories today along with his lovely wife, Melinda. Uh, he served on several different ships that include the USS Norfolk, where he was in enemy territory off the coast of Bosnia, the USS Parsh, where he participated in three top-secret missions in the Berean Sea, and received a presidential unit citation. Now, during that duty station, there were NASA scientists on board studying the sailors' behavior in a closed and isolated environment for the upcoming Mars mission, and was honored to fly the Jolly Roger. Can't wait to hear more about that. And then 9-11 happened, and he took the Marine Expeditionary unit to Iraq in the USS Duluth. And we are going to uh, find out more about Kyle and uh, meet his lovely wife, Melinda, as well. Guys, thanks for joining me today on Cheese Chat with Matzo Matt. Thank you, Matt. Wonderful to be here. It is so exciting to have you. Now, on Cheese Chat with Matzo Matt, we talk about stories. Uh, obviously, stories to inspire, memories to renew is is kind of the theme that we uh, that we dive into. And you guys are busy with kids and busy with a family. But let's kind of, uh, first of all, take a moment. Obviously, the Cheese Chat with Matzo Matt podcast would not be the same without some delicious brew pub lots of matzo pizza. Absolutely. And I'm noticing that uh, you guys decided to go with the combo, the sausage and pepperoni. Good yeah. choice today. Very Absolutely. <laughs> You guys got kids, and so I'm sure you go through one or two of those in your uh, in your annual week or your average week. Average week, yes, <laughs> for sure. Yes, good, good, good. Um, so let's let's kind of dive in, Kyle. Let's begin with you and talk a little bit about. Uh, can you kind of take me back to to when you were a kid? Where are you from? I know you've got beautiful acreage out here, just to the uh, the east a little bit of the Eau Claire area, and I know that the the land has been in your family for quite some time. Kind of cover a little bit of all of that right there. Childhood, family, uh, go ahead and dive in and fill us in on who Kyle Nyseth is. So I had a great family um, upbringing here in the Chippewa Valley. I graduated from Fall Creek High School in 1989. Um, Ron Schultz was the icon football coach, basketball coach at the time. Um, And I was lucky enough to live in a valley where it was all relatives. And fast forward to today, I was lucky enough to be able to purchase my grandmother's property from my uncle and uh, renovate it to what we have today. And that's very special. You've got a lot of memories here as you think back to uh, some of those memories. Can you kind of take me through maybe one or two that that sticks out to you as far as growing up on this land? Well, I probably shouldn't uh, make myself look goofy, but uh, I've been known to forget a gate open a time or two, or maybe uh, forget the water left on when it's supposed to be shut off to the cow tank. And so <laughs> those memories were... The cows got loose. And the cows got loose and the water and over overfilled. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, there was extra work in, in all of that. But uh, um, those were, were memories and... Uh, and I get teased about that uh, time and time again. Now, Melinda, you are not uh, a Midwest young lady, are you? I no. think you're, are you from out west? Why don't you grab the mic and tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, I grew up in San Diego. Okay. And that's where most of my family is. However, my father grew up here in Wisconsin, in this actual area. So I would come here as a child to my grandparents' farm, and we'd spend summers here. 
milking the cows, getting all white and powdery in the silage and having a great time feeding the baby cows with bottles, you know, shooting BB guns. So we had a, a lot of fun memories here as a kid. So but, as a uh, as a young lady that was from California coming back here to the upper Midwest, like, did you like that? Because I was, you know, as in the a kid, movies, I loved it. in the movies, you see how all the out west, you know, people they oh coming back to the Midwest, we can't do that. But what was what was your take to it? Well, I was only a kid, and it was really fun. Yeah, <laughs> all kinds of fun things to do on a farm <laughs> when you're a little one. You, you don't never... have to do all the work, mm-hmm. and the milkman would come with his big semi to collect all the milk from the farm, and he'd always bring us candy. So we were so excited when the semi would come into the yard because we knew he was bringing us candy. So that was those are fun memories as a kid. Living here as an adult, it's a lot more work. Mm-hmm. That is definitely true. Winter, spring, fall, summer. Yeah, it's definitely work. That's for sure. All right, so we'll get to we'll kind of talk about how you guys met coming up in just in a little bit. But uh, Kyle, skipping ahead, high school. You're obviously in sports and whatnot. Take me through kind of your high school uh, your high school career, and then what led into you choosing what to do after that so yes i did i did play football and basketball and then after the after high school i went to the university of wisconsin stout in menominee did one semester there and then uh, was frustrated with the education process and how much it cost the cost is is kind of my deal Mm -hmm. and uh and so i decided hey why not uh, travel the world and so i joined the military my dad had been in in vietnam and so I joined the Navy. He was in the Navy. I knew enough not to go to Chicago. If I'm from Wisconsin, I might as well go somewhere warm uh, <laughs> to be in, in boot camp. So I went to Florida, which at that time was one of the boot camps. Nice. And uh, enjoyed Florida for my uh, boot camp experience. So did you have any other relatives at all before your father who was in Vietnam or any other relatives that were in the military? Yes, my uncle. Uh, two uncles, and then uh, my dad's friend. There was always talk, and my dad had the old eight millimeter reel-to-reel films. Wow! And so there was videos that they we would watch like once a year with all the family around, hmm. and uh, you'd see the the videos of him on the aircraft carriers and stuff like that. Yeah, as a kid, I bet you were just like enthralled with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Any grandfathers or anything from World War II or no? No. No? Okay, all right. Uh, So you're making your way, you decide, hey, I want to go to boot camp, but was there anything else that kind of triggered, hey, military might be a good way to go? No, no, that just, was it. Just getting out of just getting out of Wisconsin <laughs> and uh, and seeing what else was out there. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in the Midwest and a lot of people get stuck in a rut here in the Midwest and there's, it's almost a different country. And so getting to different parts of the United States now seeing it was a great opportunity and I'm, I'm glad it happened. Uh, coming back to the Midwest, I, I see the same thing. You can get stuck in a rut and never leave the Midwest, which is great, but it's a, good life for a, lot it's of a great life for a lot of people, but there's a lot of great things out there other than Wisconsin. Matt Selvig, Cheese Chat with Mats and Matt, Kyle and Melinda Nyseth. Uh, NavyPaddles.com, the business that they own, and uh, kind of we're going to get up to what began the business and how these two met and whatnot, but we're kind of getting a little little backstory on, on Kyle and uh, and his growing up years. Um, okay, so Kyle, then uh, obviously go to boot camp down in, down in Florida, I'm assuming. Take me from there. So from Florida, I uh, go to my first ship, the USS Norfolk. We're just coming out of uh, refit. So they had just done an overhaul on the the submarine. So we went from nose to tail 
through that submarine. And so I got infinitely knowledgeable on that class of submarine and uh, really had a great time there. We did some great missions. We went uh, up off the coast of Russia in the Barents Sea. Uh, we went into wow. the Med off the coast of Bosnia for the Bosnian War and uh, went to La Maddalena, Italy uh, for our rest and relaxation time and, and fix some things. And La Maddalena, Italy is a little island and on one side is the was the tender MRS land, which the submarines and surface ships would tie up next to. And on the other side was Club Med. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So what's a guy to do when Club Med is on one side and there's no ladies on the other side. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you're stuck with some decisions to make. Correct. Yeah. And so we'd always go for an afternoon run somewhere, and it just happened to end up somewhere on Club Med. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, so I think at one time, several months ago, when you and I were talking, you had talked about um, like some telephone wires or something running underneath the Bar Burn Sea uh, up by Russia. I can't remember exactly that story, but I know that I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Can you do you remember which one I'm talking about? So. So yes, there's there's that's a uh, my second submarine. Okay, um, the USS Parchy. It's a top secret su submarine that uh, there are are telephone wires that uh, run between all the countries, mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't realize that in today's age when we have cell phones. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are telephone wires that connect all of us, and that's how we were able to talk. Uh, across the ocean. So we did some unique missions on top of these telephone wires. And uh, yeah, it, it, uh, things that uh, were, were very unique and uh, led to some really unique um, findings. We'll just leave it at that, yeah, I sure. guess. Well, and I understand. I, yeah, obviously you have to be careful of the information you disclose without giving too much. And right. yeah, I totally get it. So, so when you were, when you were on the submarines looking at a submarine, I know for me, I, I look at something like that and I'm just like, oh my goodness, how does this even move? How I, were you, were you just like a kid in a candy shop thinking this is going to be really cool? Um, actually, no. Coming from Wisconsin and then joining the military, I wanted something that was small town. Ah, okay. And so going to an aircraft carrier would have been, for me, too big. And so going to a submarine, there's only 100 guys on a submarine. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it was only guys. Okay. There was no females. And today we have females uh, on submarines. Sure. And, and that's great. But back then, there was only guys on submarines and typically only uh, 90 to 100. And so that meant you were uh, dual-hatted or you were trained to do everyone else's duties and, and you worked together with each other. And it, we worked on an 18 hour day, not a 24 hour day. So every six hours you were doing something different. Mm -hmm. So you'd be on watch for six hours, you would be studying or le leisuring for six hours and then six hours of sleep. Or maybe eight hours of sleep if you wanted to get a little bit extra sleep. But in general, Always, we worked on 18-hour days, not 24-hour days. Okay. Um, also, on a submarine, we would lower the oxygen level down to 18 or 19 percent, uh, where normally the the oxygen level 
is 21%. And so that would slow everybody down. And so the tensions would drop and everyone would operate a little bit slower. But then when they wanted us to do some extra work, they would bump that oxygen level back up. And, uh, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, and we Man. would we would uh, be like operating on on super speed, you know, because you'd oh, have that word. extra oxygen in you to to do everything. That's crazy, absolutely crazy. So what? You, this was around 1993. That was 93. Okay, sounds good. So then you stayed on the on the submarines for how many years? Till 1999. Okay, and then I got transferred to. Trident training facility, and that's where I was a lead instructor, and then uh, got my commission as a limited duty officer. I was a engineering LDO, which a lot of times they're called Mustangs because mm-hmm. they have enlisted uh, time as well as uh, officer time. So I see that uh, you participated in the three top secret missions in the in the Berean Sea. Obviously, we can't dive too much into those, if at all. But you received the presidential unit citation. What can you expound upon that, and, and why did you receive that? So again, that uh, that has to do with those missions. Uh, the, the stuff that we did on those missions um, gets briefed then back to the president, and he signs presidential unit citations for for work and the USS work that was done on those missions. And that submarine, in the time that I was there, we got uh, one presidential unit citation and two Navy unit citations. That ship specifically is the highest decorated um, ship in the United States Navy ever. So I see that there were some NASA scientists on board studying your behavior. That is really unique. How did that go? That was fun. Obviously, it's, it's a study of your emotional behavior and physical behavior. And so we had treadmills and and different exercise um, workout gear. And we would take tests on emotional stuff and then also um, how the oxygen would affect us when we worked out. Mm. And he studied all of that because it was the closest thing at that time that they could simulate a space shuttle or a space mission okay. because you were we were under the water. We were under sure. the water for four months okay. and six days. Did that affect you? Like not seeing the sunshine, not seeing outside? How how does that psychologically affect one? It didn't affect me at all. It's it's about like going in the haymow for for four months and six days. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well that's a good description. <laughs> now for for some people, it might have been been an other issue, but uh, no, I never had any any issues with the submarine other than maybe my sleeping habits, uh, because the bunks were only six feet long and I'm six two, and so I could never stretch out, and and they're only eighteen inches tall, so to roll on my side, I could never really roll on my side, and they're wow. they're stacked three high, oh, and so the bunk mm. situation was always unique. You have the bottom bunk, and the thing that limits a submarine is food. And so the passageways would get covered with food, number 10 cans, which ended up to be the same height as the bottom bunk on the submarine. And every six hours, they would sweep the birthing area, and they would come up with a dustpan full of hair Oh, my word. Every six hours. Remember, <laughs> remember there's 100 guys on this submarine. And so the bottom bunk, if you're sweeping every six hours, 
everything doesn't end up in the dustpan. It ends up sometimes in that bottom bunk. Oh, man. <laughs> so you don't want the bottom bunk. You don't want the bottom bunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's unbelievable. Kyle Nyseth, entrepreneur, uh, CEO of NavyPaddles.com, sharing his story today. We'll hear from uh, Melinda coming up soon, his lovely wife. Okay, so you obviously you're going throughout this wild adventure on uh, on being on a submarine and whatnot and serving the United States of America. Uh, I, I see that you fly or you had the opportunity to fly the Jolly Roger. What is that? So the Jolly Roger is that skull and crossbones that you see on on pirate ships. So it's the flag that the pirates fly. Ah, okay, gotcha. Okay, so that gets flown by United States um, ships when they do unique missions. So if you fire a missile, or if you fire a torpedo, or if you come in contact with an, an enemy combatant, and to fly the Jolly Roger... Only the president can authorize you to fly the Jolly Roger. Wow. So the commanding officer just can't hoist the Jolly Roger. So that was, again, one of those missions that, that was very special. Um, we did get permission to fly the Jolly Roger. We did some very unique things. Obviously, being out, out to sea for four months and six days, had, had the opportunity to do that. It's, it's a, if you look in the Guinness Book of World Records, obviously our, our missions are classified, but uh, you're not going to see a submarine mission uh, that long in the Guinness Book of World Records. Wow, fascinating. 9-11, obviously 2001, September 11th, we all remember where we were and what was happening in our lives at that very moment. Obviously a day that, you know, kind of redirected your life per se. Um, what happened after that? So 9-11 happens, we're in the shipyard and so we get uh, fast-tracked to take the 15th MEU, Marine Expeditionary Unit, um, out of Camp Pendleton over to Kuwait. Um, they are a Marine unit that is built for this mission. And so they get spun up, load on the USS Duluth. We take them over off the coast of Kuwait. We insert them into Kuwait, and we wait for the kickoff of the second Iraq war. We're off the coast of Kuwait and there's two oil platforms, Mayotte and Kayotte. We're doing force protection on them, just watching them because there's still uh, Iraqis on those oil platforms. But at that time we were told that Saddam Hussein was going to blow up those oil platforms and flood the Gulf with oil. State Department comes out, briefs the whole war in a PowerPoint presentation for the first year. And we have to take our part of that PowerPoint presentation and brief the State Department on how our part was gonna play out. And so we had uh, Navy SEALs and two um, Blackhawks on board. We kick off the war and we take down the oil platforms. And uh, let me back up. So the war kicks off, they take off, midnight happens and midnight there's the call to prayer for the Muslims. And so over the radio at midnight, there was always a call to prayer. This particular night, the first night of the Iraq war, the radio went silent. There was no call to prayer. But Toby Keith came on the radio somehow, and his song, We're Gonna Put a Boot in Your Ass, was played over all the radios in Iraq oh my for the Lord. kickoff. No of, way. Yeah, of, of the Iraq war. Yeah. Holy cow. So that How did was, that happen? Any 
I have no idea, but oh I was my. on the bridge when it happened, and, and that was pretty inspirational to hear that as the 15th Mew are starting to go into Iraq. That's I don't know if Toby Keith knows that, but... <laughs> But that was pretty, pretty cool. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So as I, I see, as you're talking, you're emotional. What do you, what, what, um, stirs up that up, that up for you? Well, there's, there's all those, all those men and women that went into Iraq. And then mm-hmm. secondly, the, the Iraqis that came off of those oil platforms, they look like rats. Great, probably great men. They were trying to serve their families and take care of things, but just the, the working atmosphere that they had on those oil platforms uh, we probably helped them a lot because they got food and there's another fun funny story so we take these oil platforms over we get the men off there we transfer them into iraq Um, they actually get clothes i I mean they got flip-flops which they had no shoes on and uh, so now we're tasked to take over the oil platforms and get them operating so the new Iraqi government could get oil and money from the production of these oil platforms. And so we go in there and, and Saddam Hussein's picture is everywhere. Uh, we took those down and then we go into the kitchen and they had a walk-in um, freezer refrigerator and we go in there, there's no food, but it's filled with beer. So that's a tough diet, tough <laughs> diet, man. Hey, if they were from Wisconsin, you know how it works here. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So when you're, when you're walking through and obviously, you know, taking things in visually, I mean, that had to have, that's just a whole, whole different world over there, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the luxuries that we have here in Wisconsin, um, you can't, you can't even put that into, into words. I can't even explain, um, their living conditions. Cheese Chat with Matza Matt, talking to uh, Kyle Nyseth. His wife, Melinda, is joining us here soon as well on uh, Cheese Chat. Memories to renew, stories to inspire. So you're over there, and it looks like, obviously, you're diving on in. And tell me a little bit more about kind of that post-9-11 time that you're there, the next four, five, six years that you're in there. What Any stories specifically stick out to you that you might want to share with the listeners? Sure. So we, we finish all of that. We, we take a 15th mute takes Iraq really quickly. And that's, that's a good thing. We uh, then come back. We were able to go to Australia. Um, wow. We pulled into Cairns, Australia, uh, and then back to San Diego. And then I get uh, shifted to be, shifted duty stations to be chief engineer at Special Boat Team 12. And that's where wow. um, I start working with Naval Special Warfare. And then deployed to the Philippines for a year working out of, Singapore, Guam, Indonesia, Philippines, oh my word. Australia again, wow. and Thailand. Thailand, all kinds of fun over there. That, that was a really fun time over there. Uh, yeah, Thailand, uh, Operation Cobra Gold, that uh, crazy uh, training mission over there where DEA, Thai military, and the U.S. Navy and Army all work together and, and do a training mission. And it culminated in the Gulf of Thailand on another oil platform where we were playing as drug lords. Okay. And uh, okay. we were transferring money here and there, obviously fake money, but uh, uh, doing all kinds of different stuff. And they were doing 
intelligence gathering on us and trying to catch you trying to catch us and so no was this was this training or is this like an actual thing where you're really trying to like trick criminals into doing something and you're going to then arrest people or is this all no i was the criminal you were i was the criminal okay you played the you played the criminal in training so this is just for them to get trained get trained on a what if situation correct okay okay and and sharing your military knowledge and tactics with other countries so they can be better equipped to fight bad guys in their country yes okay Okay. yeah so we were playing playing bad guys and they were monitoring us and the and the big thing was we were operating in uh, less than upstanding areas of Thailand uh, because there was stigmas about being in in these uh, brothels and different okay. things like that. Sure. And and so we would operate in these areas so they would be more comfortable and it, it's almost like. Uh, um, they went into the taboo areas so they'd have to follow you there and get used to fighting crime in the areas they didn't like to go. Thank you. Yes. Much better words. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yep. Yep. I gotcha. So you, you're, you're kind of putting on, I don't want to say like a theatrical, I mean, it's all, it's, it almost is like a, a, a play or like. Absolutely. We're given our mission every afternoon. And so it's already scripted and there's, and, and they do this all the time. But yeah, we're given our mission every afternoon. We go out and do whatever we're supposed to do. Yeah. Be here, be there, be over here, buy this, do that. And someone is supposed to follow us and then report back and make sure it matches up. Or how would they then um, act with us as we're carrying out what we're doing? So were there any like actual live situations then and real things that they had to put their training into practice and they were successful? Any, can you think of any examples there? Well, we did things, we had some uh, houses where, where we, but this was already set up where you'd go in and they'd try and clear the house. Okay. And so it was already pre-scripted. They knew we were in there. We had guns with paint guns, paintball guns. Nice. Yep. And they had paintball guns against us, so we got hit as much as they got hit. And everybody died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then they would they would wrap us up, you know, put us in cuffs. But a guy like me, you know, 6 2 210 pounds, and then you got uh, six Thai guys that are 100 pounds each. They had a little bit tougher time mm-hmm. trying to to hold me down. Yeah, so. I was going to say, good thing you kind of, I mean, it was all <laughs> scripted. Good thing you didn't actually like take out some frustrations on them because it might have been a little bit of a of an advantage. for. Oh, oh absolutely. Mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was great training for them. And they had they had all kinds of skills that that were probably better than anything I could put up out there as well. So you went into obviously the Navy in the uh, submarines for several years, but then Throughout your career, you obviously were promoted, 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 and then you became more of the trainer instead of the trainee. Is that a pretty accurate way of, uh, of describing your, your career? Absolutely. And, and that's a lot of the progression through the military. That's what they want you to do. Yeah. You get trained how to do stuff. You then become a supervisor, and now you're training all those below you. You always want to train the guy below you into your position. As a person in the military, I'm trying to learn the job of my superior to work him out of a job. And I think that is is Hmm. a great 
thing in the military that I wish the civilian world would adopt a lot more because it's always dog eat dog here in the civilian world, not how can I help someone get to the next level. Yeah, right. And so if someone is working me out of a job and the same, the person above me training me into the next position, Mm -hmm. um, it would be a lot better progression for everybody in the civilian world. So it's a great opportunity for all all military. So you mentioned, uh, you know, working obviously with Navy SEALs, there were Marines as well. Is there is there kind of that uh, the the pride, you know, whether it's Army, Navy, Marines, is there kind of the, the I'm this or I'm that or are you guys when it all comes down to it, you come together and you're one? Oh, we're all together and we're one. Yeah, absolutely. But there's always yeah, there's always rivalry. Come on, we're all guys. <laughs> I know, right? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be some macho stuff out there. So take me back to a moment. Where, where, was there ever a night, some Tuesday night, where you're like, oh, <laughs> we're going to have an arm wrestling match, or we're going to wrestle, or you know how you guys got to show off your manlyhood and this and that? You got to have a moment like that that you can share with me. Well. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at his wife. <laughs> so we're in Guam, mm-hmm. and... Uh, we just happened to end up at a strip club. Okay. <laughs> so it was tradition that once you get done with your turnover, that everyone just kind of ended up going to the strip club. Mm-hmm. And these girls kind of knew that, I think, because they had this ship's wheel to steer the ship. You know, the... Oh, how did they get that? That was on stage. Oh, boy. Okay. And so they would pick us out of the out of the crowd yeah. and they'd strap us to the ship's wheel. Oh my goodness. And then spin us around. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, who could last the longest? Yeah, exactly. And so they after drinking. After yeah. drinking, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was an opportunity or two like that. Yeah. But uh you're being very G rated. Okay. Yeah, he's being very G rated, exactly. <laughs> which is good. I mean Cheese Chat for Matt's and Matt. We are a family production here. Yeah. So all right. So hey, while you were I, I just wanna and again you, you can share if you want to, if not. when you were over in um in Iraq during the during those years, did you have a moment where I mean, there was a moment of, wow, I'm I'm scared. I might not be coming home. Did you have one of those? moments and if so can you kind of describe that and what that was like for you no never did never did have a concern that i wasn't coming home okay uh i'd already been through seer school survival evasion rescue and escape um that was probably more strenuous than anything we did in iraq okay so we spent a week out in a pow camp out in the desert out in the desert of california California, and yeah no food all you could do is drink water. Waterboarded you. Waterboarded. What's that like? Um, you live through it. Yeah. I'm here. Yes, you are. <laughs> it sucked. But it, yeah. I mean, not a fun experience, I'm sure. You have to do you have to kind of mentally get to the point of I might die. How do you how do you make it through that? So there again, um, I never got to that point and okay. they got frustrated with that. Okay. Because I have a hard time role playing. And so role playing that you're in a POW camp, and I was the officer in charge. Um, so once they wrapped us all up and they actually put us in the POW camp, they tried to get your name, rank, and social security number. And I didn't play good enough. And so they, they had a gun and they supposedly shot me in the head. <laughs> For me, I have a hard time role playing. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that did not affect me. There was other things that affected you in there. Yeah, that, but that, that wasn't one of them. What affected you? Uh, um, having 
having women that were raped, that bothered me. That he was not allowed to save them and protect them. Yeah, and so... Because he was captured and all his men were captured, and then the woman gets taken and abused, and they can't help her. So we had women part of the class as well. Okay. A pilot. There were several, yeah, several pilots, yeah. Mm -hmm. Female pilots that were in the training as well. Okay. And and so they, they strip you naked, they abuse you. Beat you. Yeah. I didn't recognize him when he came back from that training. I'd lost 15 pounds, broken nose. Yeah. I didn't recognize them. Yeah. And they tell you after you come back, don't make any life decisions because you're going to be messed up for a while. Yeah. After that training. And they call it mental. It was intense. They call it mental inoculation. So that's their way of giving you the COVID shot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you get in a POW group, you know know what to expect and you've already kind of been through it. So you know you can survive. I mean, it's a very good training to prepare our guys for a POW camp and for being captured and tortured so yes it wow. was necessary but it sucked yeah and how old were you when you went through that 34 yeah. so i was yeah wow. definitely the oldest guy in there and also because you're the officer in charge they would beat you when the other guys didn't comply correct so that also Ugh. makes everybody feel bad because if you don't do what they tell you then your boss is going to get beat up in front of you so that's why he he wasn't recognizable he got a lot more more hits than yeah. the other guys on purpose. Wow. Yeah. So one time, and we've kind of shifted over to the SEER training, but um, one time that I enjoyed during the SEER training, uh, they had us stand in a box. And so they a wooden, box. a wooden box. And so we stood there. They said, get on your knees. And then they had us sit back on our, on our feet. Mm-hmm. And then they said, put your hands over your head and then touch your nose to your knees so and then they shut the box on top of us and then these again these are like, uh, like u.s officials but, but above you telling you and and they're training you right yeah but they don't look like u.s people no. they they look like iraqis or look and like they speak like them yeah everything yeah. oh but they're on our team but, correct but they sure don't look like it or sound no. like it really no that's their they job. don't speak english so are we bringing these people in to do that like are we no because we have interpreters that can talk and speak all different languages. So they get trained specific- to, be an, to be yeah a torturer, yeah. <laughs> to oh. be an enemy torturer. Oh my That's word. their job, to torture our guys in this training camp. Yeah. Wow. What okay. Job, huh? Yeah, what a job. Wow. So, so they shut me in this box, and the gal next to me is screaming. She's in a dark box. And, she, and she's down. half my size. I mean, I'm 210 pounds, and she might be 110 pounds. So she fits nice and easy in this box. Sure, but she's freaking out. She's freaking out. So I, I get her talked down. Down a little bit, yeah. Because I'm right next. Like she can at least hear me. I get her talked down, and now she's quiet. And I actually fall asleep. <laughs> you fall asleep. Well, I'm burnt out. They hadn't <laughs> let him sleep in days. Yeah. Oh my well, gosh. you're running through the desert before they captured you. They let yeah. them loose out in the desert and they have to survive, eat whatever they can find, drink whatever they can find. And again, this and is out finally, in California. Yeah. Right? Okay. And then they finally get captured. The guys are be, they're being chased as soon as they get let out into this desert. So he's tired. Oh yeah. And hungry. Yeah. So no one no one can hurt me. I'm just in a box. Yeah. Exactly. What do you're I finally care? you're finally letting your guards down a little bit and relaxing. Yeah. So I so finally they they shake me and hey, get up, get up, get up. Oh my so word. I ask, how long we've been in here? Oh, 45 minutes. How did the young lady do? 
Oh, after she calmed down, yeah. she did fine. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have issues with getting closed into stuff. And that's one thing that I just, I just don't have a problem with. You know, that's... I, well, I, I did submarines all those years, not being able to even fit in the beds. So oh, yeah. He's used to a small space. I think that's one thing that, you know, the average American and average person doesn't even remotely begin to understand is the training that you guys go through to, to, be, prepared. to be prepared for a just-in-case. And then, you know, to think about... Like our own people have to do that too. I'm just like, oh man, because I'm I'm a peacemaker. Like I love I'm everybody. Let's get along. It's got to be such a, a divide in your mind. Like I know I need to go through this, but what are you doing? You're on my team. Why are you punching me? Why are you beating me up? Like that's got to be such a conflict of 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 everything in your mind. And that's what I had a hard time with because I'm not that role player. Yeah, I knew that you know, in my earlier days in the military, I was the instructor trainer. I was the one teaching everybody, but now I'm having instructors try to teach me in this scenario. So I know they're an instructor, but yet they're supposed to be a bad guy. And, and they did look and sound like bad guys. Yeah, too. but trying to flip that yeah. switch, yeah. especially when I'm the officer in charge that normally would be in charge of them, I, I just had a, a different, uh, different thought process about it and had a hard time with it. Yeah. Kyle Nyseth, Melinda Nyseth here on Cheese Chat with Matza Matt. All right, so uh, Kyle, let me just ask you real quick. I see that you did some uh, boots on the ground, force protection on the Euphrates River from the Syrian border to Baghdad. What was that? What, what happened there? So I get uh, shifted over to Riverine Squadron 3, and uh, we're boots on the ground. We take uh, Blue Water Sailors and take them to the Marine School of Infantry, teach them how to be Marines, and then we took over the Marine mission on the Euphrates River from the Syrian border down to Baghdad for force protection. The Euphrates River goes up into Syria, and so if there's not a lot of rain, there's dams on the Euphrates River, and Syria can stop water from going into Iraq. So, And there's dams, the Haditha Dam and Lake Haditha in Iraq, and so we would do that force protect. We did that force protection on Euphrates River. And again, it was during the time where a lot of the war had already happened and we were doing more just peacekeeping and making sure things didn't flare up. And so when I was there, it wasn't an issue of was I scared? No, never. Yeah. We didn't have stuff going. Did you ever did you ever go into like one of Saddam Hussein's palaces? Um the Haditha Dam. Okay. So that was that was not necessarily a palace. Yeah. But he had it rigged as one, or had it outfitted as one of his um, resort areas because it was on the water. And okay. here Iraq is a big desert. So yes, the Haditha Dam was taken over by the military and was used as a military um, launch point because of the strategic electricity that was generated from the dam, yep. as well as holding back all the water for all of the tribes around the lake. And we would go from tribe to tribe and make sure they were taken care of and, and different things like that. But hmm. while we were up there, it was all peacekeeping. Hmm. The rules of engagement were, were so tightened. The only, the only thing, if you were shot at, that would have been the only time you could have ever your weapon even out 
So I, I was never concerned. But flying around in a helicopter, um, I enjoyed doing that more than anything, which, which was easier than riding in a Humvee because you actually had space in a helicopter. Yeah. So, so the helicopters were the fun highlight for me of being in Iraq. Continue our conversation with Kyle and Melinda Nyseth here on Cheese Chat with Matza Matt. All right, so let's real quick go back to, okay, so the SEER training took place in uh, Southern California and uh, you were placed in that dark box and whatnot. Now you were, obviously the light had shown upon you before that and uh, that came in the presence of a young lady named Melinda. And uh, okay, so take me back. How did you guys meet and how did the whole love for each other begin <laughs> that is what i want to know <laughs> all right melinda you got this one girl you take the mic and you you chat about it and i want to hear this story i'll, I'll kick it off okay you're kicking so it off. i'm in the philippines deployed once again and i'm in a business lounge and this filipina is playing scrabble scrabble is american and english game, english game and she's playing Scrabble with her friends. So okay. it didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I went and introduced myself. Hey, I'll play Scrabble. Is there someone else? You know, can I play? Yeah. And it happened to be Melinda's friend. And okay. that's, that's how it all kind of started. Yeah. So my friend Jenny was from the Philippines. And she went back to the Philippines to visit family. And I think she inherited some land or something. She lived in California. And we worked together in real estate. So when she came back from the Philippines, she said, Melinda, I met this guy when I was in the Philippines. Do you like military guys? <laughs> I said, no, not really. They travel around too much. Mm -hmm. And in San Diego, lots of men were in the military. That's a yep. military town. Yep. So no, I wasn't really interested. Well, he's big. And you said you like big men. So there's that. That's the only description you have. That's, that's what she told me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's what she told yeah. me. She had told him in the Philippines that when you come back to San Diego and your deployment's over, I'll introduce you to some of my friends and get you connected to the community. Because he was, he was based out of San Diego, but he kept deploying everywhere. So he had never really met people or had a real life in San Diego. It was just his stopping point to then jump off to the next deployment. Sure, it makes sense, yep. So she was married and had kids and said, hey, I'll introduce you to some people when you come back to San Diego because how cool is that? She's in the Philippines and she met a military soldier who's also stationed in San Diego. So she was going to help him out. Awesome. So she says a while later, once he's back from his deployment, do you want to meet up at a... Hoolies was a Hoolies, an Irish pub. After work today, I have some friends coming. And again, and you're, you and this young lady are in real estate business together. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, we're yep. selling new homes together. Yep. So I said, yeah, why not? Sounds like fun, you know. So we met at Hoolies, and Kyle walks in to the group, and we all sit down around, you know, the table in, in the pub, Hoolies, and. I asked him what his name was and all that. Where are you from? Obviously, you're not from San Diego because no military guy in San Diego is from San Diego. Yeah. So, and he says, oh, I'm from, from Wisconsin. You probably wouldn't know the town. I said, really? Tell me. He said, Fall Creek. It's some little place outside of Eau Claire. I said, yeah, I know. No way. Yeah. That's, oh, that's awesome. And so she puts me on the phone with her dad. Am I telling the story or you? <laughs> I you notice it. he likes to talk. I love it, yeah. <laughs> so I said, I know that place because I used to go there as a kid to my grandparents' farm every summer. Oh, my word. And it was in that area. So 
I called my dad and I said, Dad, I just met someone from Wisconsin from Fall Creek. Here, talk to him. So my dad and Kyle ended up having like a 20-minute conversation. That's awesome. And they seemed to know a lot of the same people. And my my uncle knew his mom or his uncle went to school with my dad. I mean, uh, that's where Kyle, you can now talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my aunt oh my. and her dad um, knew each other when they went to school down in Osseo. Oh, wow. That's funny. So what a small world. So you talked to her dad for 20 minutes and, and then... I never got to meet Melinda. Well, I just said, yeah. here, talk to, here yeah. talk to my dad. So yeah, you're talking to her dad the whole time. And then and I you... never really get to meet Melinda. Really? So the rest no. of the night you guys didn't talk too much and, or well, no. there, there's other people there. We're right. just other all people, having yeah. fun. There's live music. We're just having fun, you know, after work. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. All right. <laughs> so then what happens? What, how, how does the rest of it go? So she leaves. And back then there wasn't, I no social media. Right. Right. Yep. And so we entered, we get connected a couple different times and I try and get her phone number mm-hmm. and she doesn't give me her phone number. And then Oof. finally I, I ask her specifically for a phone number and I walk her to her car and I'm trying to be a gentleman and I think I'm going to get her phone number and I open her door and she gets in and leaves. Wow. I forgot that he asked me for my phone number actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So then finally I'm on my way to Alaska to a bear hunt and she calls me on a Wednesday and says hey you want to go kayaking on San Diego Bay and I said well that's kind of odd don't normally in my head I'm thinking don't normally people work during the middle of the week during the middle of the day (laughs) real estate agents have different hours and we work weekends so sometimes Mm -hmm. you get a weekday off yep very true Yep. So I was on my way to Alaska and I said, yeah, I'll go kayaking, but you'll have to wait till I... He was in the airport ready to fly to Alaska to shoot a bear. Okay. Okay. That's how he spends his vacations. There you go. I should have known better right Ah. there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So then I get back and then we kind of hook up and... Oh, that has a bad connotation in today's society, by the way. We did not hook up. <laughs> so you guys go out on a date. We yes. started going on dates. Yes. Okay. That's correct. And now from what I hear, it sounds like from one date to another to then engagement to then marriage, we just, we made real short time of that, didn't we? Well done. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, when you meet the the woman of your dreams, That's right. why not uh, speed things up? Yeah. Why wait? That's right. So how did, that, how did that whole process go? How did that whole process go for you, Melinda? It was, well, obviously it was a whirlwind and he had to deploy, not deploy. He was getting transferred to Virginia. Mm -hmm. So it's either have a long-term, long-distance relationship or... Go with me. Go with him. So I made a choice. Now, so many times these military guys are like, you know, they just, they come with the stereotypical thoughts of young ladies, I'm sure. How quickly did it uh, take you to get past that with with Kyle, that he obviously very different guy than what some military men are. Well, that's one of the good things about the Midwest. They raise good men. Very true. Yeah. And when I was starting to date him, he told me, you're not going to find another man like me, Melinda. They don't, they don't make them like, like me in San Diego. And it's true. Solid confidence. I love it. So 2006, you guys tied the knot in December. 
Uh, it sounds like it was kind of a secretly. smaller, yep, secretly, and it was then very small. It was just him and I at the courthouse. Nice. Nobody knew we were married because we we had already a, the big wedding planned for April. Okay, and the that, following year. So was the big wedding? Was it back here, at uh, in Wisconsin, no. or no. was it out in California? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. So I come home day after Christmas from duty. I always took duty on Christmas and Thanksgiving because I was single and I'd always let the married guys be with their families. So I get home. And I walk in the door, and there she is in a in a white mini skirt, white top, yeah. with bright red boots, leather high heeled boots, leather high heel red boots, <laughs> red lipstick, and she says, "You want to get married?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, sounds great. Let's do it." And here we are, 16 years later. And okay, so after that, you're out in California, obviously, for a few years before you moved back here to uh, to the Eau Claire. Fall Creek area, or what? What happened no, after that? We transferred right away to Virginia, Virginia. Okay. for a few years, and then we went back to San Diego at a different duty station. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and then he retired, and we moved to Wisconsin. You retired in what? 2012. 2012. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How was that for you? At the time, you just did it. Looking back, it was probably some of the hard times of our life. Transition is transitioning. Hard yes, transitioning, trying to figure out. You go from king status. Well. Because he'd worked his way yeah. up. He was a- you went from boot camp, nothing, all the way up to being a senior supervisor and in a, in a big company and all these benefits that you have. And then you get cast out into the world and you have no status whatsoever. And, you, and your connections are still back in, in the military and now yeah. you're not in the military. So you lose friends you lose connections you lose your career you lose a lot of things and then, all at the same time and then it's very difficult coming back to the midwest where nobody in eau claire understands military whatsoever it's very true and so trying to translate my skills into um, something that would i could have a job here in eau claire i tried to be i tried couple different things yeah. tried to be a teller at a bank for three different banks and they all none of them hired me none of them hired you were me. overqualified <laughs> yeah they told him he yeah. was overqualified and he was yeah you were dealing with multi-million dollar budgets and repairs of all kinds of machinery and yeah but you got to start somewhere and it, it, yeah. i just i laugh right. at the fact that that a bank wouldn't hire me as a teller right so the spouse of military you know personnel is difficult in living that life what role did you play between obviously his retirement and the beginning of uh, 2006 like what what is it like for a military spouse especially a wife well when they leave it it's really horrible yeah i i think that's the the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is when the service member deploys we leave a family behind and the spouse has to take your whole life and now having two to make it all work now you only have one to make it all work and then if there's kids sick okay how do you get them to appointments how do you watch other kids and then you don't have family a lot of times in that town where you're stationed Mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a bigger job for the spouse when the service member deploys than the service member when they're deployed because when the service member is deployed we train to do our job and when we go we're already trained to do that 
The spouse doesn't get training on how to do their job when we're deployed. Right. So it's almost like going on vacation sometimes for the service member, even though it's, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but we're trained to do that job. And the spouse doesn't get enough credit being back at home. And so for me, I was lucky enough to have an amazing spouse to be able to take care of all that stuff and support me while I was deployed and made made the the deployments very easy. So where do you find your, like as a military wife, where, where would you find that support? Was it from other military wives? Was it from? They do, they do, the other military wives do have groups where they'll get together and and try to try to help each other out. They're very good about that. Yep. Also, I was involved in our church, which was very helpful. So there, there's other places that you can go, but it is it is a huge upset to the the family rhythm. Yeah. Well, and then when they come back, it's another upset to the family rhythm uh-huh. because now I got this, and now you're back, and you're going to tell me not to do it that way. Well, it's working for me this Ooh, way. So yeah. it's a big transition when they come back too. And how many kids were involved with for you guys at that time? Two thousand between twenty six or 2006 and 2012 mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. so yeah i mean that obviously adds some pressure and but I, I totally hear you when they come back and you know if he's like well i wouldn't have done it that way you're like well you were gone how i i bet and that's really difficult. certain deployments on a couple of them he's told me when i come back i'm gonna be an asshole sorry could i swear on this sorry <laughs> you're I'm good. gonna be a jerk when i come back i have to decompress i have to they're on after call. Get off deployment. They're on call 24 hours a day and they're in work mode yeah. and they're in make fast decisions. They're not in, how are you feeling today, hun? Yeah. Oh, kids come snuggle with me. That's not the mood they're in. Mm. They're in go, 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 keep it together. This is this the mission. So they're in a very different mindset for many months at a time. So it takes them a while to transition into let's just relax today. Let's just yeah. enjoy. Yeah. So again, one of those things that we, as the average Joe and average American, we don't think about, you know, but yeah, coming back, decompressing and getting off of that whole mentality of being away and on duty and have to be on all the time. Yeah. Certainly one of those things that we probably just don't, uh, well, we take for granted if you will. So obviously the three bank gigs didn't work out, but then <laughs> you come along and you guys open up this awesome business called NavyPaddles.com. How did it come about? Share that story with me. We didn't open it. It started before he retired. So he would make paddles for his guys. So his office looked like a little paddle shop. It had rolls of 550 cord. It had different paddles. In The couch that he had in there was like a little shop. So his guys would come in when they were going to transfer and they'd get to pick out, oh, that's the paddle with that pretty wood striping that I like. These are the colors I want. You know, sir, can you put these things on there for me? And then he would make it for them. Cool. So that was already, you had already had it well in in, in, in Just place, for his guys. For no, guys. just as a gift for his own guys underneath him that were transferring. He would give them this gift. But that started... Before that. Yeah, in 2006. At River Inn Squadron 3 in yeah. Richmond, Virginia. And so then transferring back to Special Boat Team 12, it continued. And again, I would just do it. I, I didn't make any money off of it. No, it was for your guys. <clears throat> yeah, it was just for service members. Yep. And then I get out of the military and people just continue to call. And so... Hey, sir, can I, can I get another paddle made? Because they would transfer to a different command. And at that command... Maybe one of their officers is 
retiring or moving on and they'd say, what should we get him for a gift? Well, at my last command, Lieutenant Niseth made this cool paddle for me. Maybe he can make one for our new commanding officer at this command. So Best the word spread through like that. Word of mouth advertising. Absolutely. And and the first year, it, it was slow, but... You were renovating our house. We were renovating the house and we had this as a full-time job. And then I went on a shed hunting trip for like two weeks out west without the family. (laughs) 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 Kind of seems like a a thing we do. And I came back and and Melinda was deep in it and had 30 paddles ready to go. Orders. 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 Wow. And she stayed in the business ever since. Mm-hmm. And we just grew and grew and grew to where we are today. And we've got a whole shop dedicated to doing custom memorabilia. What a blessing. And you guys are getting orders, I mean, from all over the country, all over the world? All over or the not? world. All over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Too. Yeah. Wow. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, the paddle is a symbol of teamwork. And teamwork can translate not just military, not just fire and police and first responders, but also corporate s- gifts, sales, you know, group sales football teams, teams we've, we've athletic done, teams. Yeah, we've done paddles for all of those. You got to go online and check it out, folks. It's uh, navypaddles.com, navypaddles.com. And I know that uh, for our veterans golf outing that oh, we yeah. do with uh, with brew pub lots of matzo pizza for the Chippewa Falls veterans and uh, and the great home up there obviously we get some some really cool first place prizes for the winning team we get the paddles here from uh, Kyle and Melinda and if if I can just say so they are absolutely spectacular they're brilliant they're beautiful uh, you guys handcraft them and just do an absolutely outstanding job. So, I mean, this company, you got to check it out, folks. It's, uh, again, NavyPaddles.com, NavyPaddles.com. They're busy, but certainly not too busy to uh, have you place an order. So, man, as you kind of step back and reflect on the last, obviously, 16 years of marriage, obviously, you know, 30-plus years, you know, being in the military, well, in the military slash retired, what uh, – what are your thoughts that come to mind as we as we wrap up our conversation today? I feel lucky to to be with a community that is focused on the country, God, country, and fam and family. Fast boats. <laughs> so it was God, country, and fast boats, but uh, now I say God, country, and family. So, but uh, no, it's it's been a, a a great ride. We enjoy. Um, honoring achievements and remembering milestones and hearing all the stories it's actually been therapy for me to be able to hear the stories and stay connected to the military to be able to help where I can and push forward this country that's the greatest country on God's green earth thank you guys thanks for sharing your story Kyle thank you my brother thank you Matt thanks for your service Melinda thank you for uh being everything that you are and again the uh the great support system to a pretty decent guy over there (laughs) we'll talk more off air because i want to hear more stories so thanks you guys for your time i appreciate it thank you all right cheese chat with mods and mats kyle and melinda niceth they uh, again uh, started up navypaddles.com go check it out and uh, we appreciate their time and uh, we hope you enjoyed today's cheese chat Uh, we'll uh, catch you next time until then so long